0: And Danielle does an excellent job as our children's uh, ministry leader, so give her a pat on the back. Does a really good job there. The rest of us, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 um we're going to look at verses 32 through a little bit of chapter five if you're just joining us this morning again welcome we are in the middle of a about a year-long series or so going through the book uh, in the new testament of the actions of the disciples or for short acts um it's not uh, a x e it's a c t s the actions of the disciples after jesus left and again as i remind you every sunday night on nbc there is a series called AD, and it is about Acts. So, um, hey, it's great. If you think the sermon's boring, go watch that, and it'll be better than probably what I could give you. But we encourage you to be watching that as well, an excellent series. Acts chapter 4, the actions of the disciples, verse 32, Luke, a follower of Jesus, talks about the events that happened after Jesus resurrected. And once you're at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, if you would stand with me as we read the word of the Lord together this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed, believed in Jesus, or Christians, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back part of the prophet for himself and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part for yourself of the proceeds for the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to me or men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. No funeral. Verse 7. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the word of God, eternal, made flesh, and you lived and dwelled among us. We just celebrated your death and resurrection, that you and you alone, as Peter says in Acts chapter 3, are the only way for forgiveness and the only way to eternal life with God. Father, we ask that you would bless this service this morning. Holy Spirit, we give this service to you. We ask that you would anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they would be your words and not mine. We love you and we thank you, and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. The title of the message this morning is Close the Window. Close the Window. I want to show you a picture here of it talks about them meeting in Solomon's portico. And we've talked about this in the past and shown pictures of it, but just in case it's your first time with us today, on the far uh, left of your screen, you see this... uh, roof that's red with a terracotta roof that's red. And uh, you can see it here, the royal portico. In other words, that's Solomon's portico. That's a place that the entire temple complex is 34 acres. So that's the only place large enough. They couldn't meet in houses. I mean, they did for small groups, kind of like we do. But they would gather together once a week, just like we do. They would gather together and have what we call church. So they gather together once a week on Resurrection Day, on a Sunday, have church, have communion, sing some songs, hear the teaching about Jesus through the, the apostles, and then throughout the week they would meet in each other's homes. This is the only place large enough where you could have a crowd. At this point, Luke tells us that there's upwards of ten to 15,000 People Understand that at this time the population of the city of Jerusalem is between 100,000, maybe 250, but probably closer to 100,000. That means, I'm not very good at math, but that means that over 10% of the city population of Jerusalem are followers of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Could you imagine if 10% of the street that you live on or the place that you work or the city of Pittsburgh or the United States was Christian? And I don't just mean, well, we go to church on Sunday and say a prayer. I mean, these are people filled with the Holy Spirit on fire for God. They're preaching the message of Jesus Christ and God is daily adding the number of those are being saved. Awesome stuff. You want to talk about revival? This is it. So, in other words, you might consider this the first megachurch uh, in the world. So, that's just a picture of where they would meet every day. I want to also make something clear um, on their giving that it talks about that um, they gave generously. Um, this was that you have a group of, again, five to 10, 15,000 Christians. And so, not all of them have nice paying jobs. Some of them are poorer Christians. So what the wealthier Christians would do, not under demand, the disciples didn't demand them to do it, they weren't necessarily convicted to do it, or they didn't do it out of obligation, they did it because they wanted to. These wealthier Christians would sell their houses, or they would sell some property that they owned, take the proceeds, and give it to the disciples. Now, barnabas luke makes a point of pointing out this guy named barnabas who's going to be a major figure later on in acts and the new testament he and paul are going to be really good buddies but barnabas comes he sees a wealthier follower of christ jewish follower of christ or christian he sells some land takes the proceeds and gives it all does that mean that every wealthy christian gave everything they had no it does not that's an example you know by that logic then and and i and i heard a pastor actually this week preach on this passage and so I didn't steal his sermon by the way I don't think that but um, made a very good point that by that logic if every Christian all five to, to fifteen thousand of them sold everything they had then they couldn't meet in each other's homes and eventually that money would run out so it's illogical to think that they literally sold all their houses all their land No, no no some of the wealthier Christians we don't know how many but some of the wealthier Christians gave more. They gave above, uh, you know, 10%, whatever you want to figure, but they gave more. Did they give it because Peter told them to? No, they did it because they had compassion of the Holy Spirit. A unified church is the word of the Lord that was given this morning during worship. These uh, poorer Christians would receive that, and that's what Christianity should be about. And uh, we'll talk about this later more. But first thing we want to look at is open window, open destruction open window open destruction and as it is springtime a lot of you and I was coming into my house yesterday and I saw most of the neighbors that we have had the windows to their homes open Now you think, my goodness, that's an amazing prop. Did he make that? No, I didn't. I'm not that talented. You should know that by now. Uh, This is from Brother Cliff who sells windows. If you need a window, go talk to him after service and he can sell you one. But this is a display model and uh, it's going to work perfect for us this morning. But the idea of a window is several things. A window can help keep your house warm in the winter cool in the summer. It helps uh, prevent bugs from coming inside and flying inside. It helps prevent thieves from coming in your home. Windows have uh, a lot of purposes. They tend to keep the temperature inside the same. They tend to keep the people inside safe, the people outside away. An open window is open destruction, especially for us in Pittsburgh. I want you to imagine if all winter especially the last two or three winters that we have with these arctic blasts and everything imagine if all winter every window in your home was left open all winter long you didn't close it yeah you got the heat cranked up but your window was open all winter remember those days where it was like two degrees outside and the the low was minus 20 you know and Um, I mean, even polar bears are showing up on our streets saying, man, it's cold. I mean, I want you to imagine that. And spiritually speaking, that's what a lot of people have. Their window to their heart is open. That's the problem. Notice what Luke did here. He talked about Barnabas at the end of chapter 4, and the very next sentence, he didn't write in chapters and verses like we have, but literally, he talks about this great wealthy Christian named Barnabas. He sold the field, gave all of the money to the disciples so that the disciples could help give it among the poorer Christians. But the very next sentence, he says, Well, speaking of good things, I got to tell you about a bad thing that happened. There's a guy named Ananias, his wife, Sapphira. They were wealthy Christians as well. So listen, um, God loves wealthy Christians. God loves poor Christians. God isn't so much concerned about your bank account as he is the condition of your heart. But there's another wealthy Christian. So he's telling us we have two wealthy Christians, Barnabas and Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Barnabas sells the money he brings it in I want you to imagine and I tried to to do this but the bank wouldn't loan me thousands of dollars for a sermon illustration I can't figure that out but imagine if I walked in this morning with a suitcase full of millions of dollars and uh, or if you walked in and laid it here at our feet so that we could help distribute it and serve the Lord I'm hoping that you will do that next Sunday but anyway imagine you doing that and so that's what Barnabas did and then the elders and disciples they gave it up to the poor Christians Then another wealthy Christian named Ananias, he comes in, does the same thing, has a suitcase full of cash. He comes in, he lays it at the apostles' feet. The issue of the day is not the amount that Ananias put at the apostles' feet, it's that he lied. And he didn't lie to Peter, as Peter says, he lied to the Holy Spirit. He lied to God. How did he lie? He said, listen, I sold this piece of property for $50,000 when in reality he might have sold it for $100,000 and he kept half for himself. Now, is keeping half for himself wrong or bad? No, it's not wrong or it's bad. Absolutely not. That's not why he was struck down and killed. If if he would have said, listen, Peter and other disciples, I had $100,000, I gave you half, I'm keeping half for myself, I can promise you there wouldn't be these 11 verses about Ananias and Sapphira. I could almost promise you that other wealthy Christians did the same thing. They would sell it. They would maybe keep half or two-thirds or a third. The amount doesn't matter. They'd keep some for themselves, and they would give the, the rest. So the issue isn't that they kept some of it back. The issue is that they lied about it. Instead of saying, yes, we sold it for 100000 and we're giving you half, and we keep half, they said, no, we only sold it for $50,000. In reality, they sold it for $100,000 and kept half themselves. And that's an example of what happened. But I love, and I want to focus on what Peter tells him. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. Well, let's begin at verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, who does that remind you of? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He kept back part of the, some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Look at verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds? In other words, you might think what Peter is saying, Ananias, there's a window in your soul, a window in your heart, spiritually speaking. And what you have done, instead of keeping that Closed to the to the schemes of Satan, instead of keeping that closed to the enemy, instead of keeping that closed to the to the wiles of the devil, what you have done is even by a very innocent in your mind little crack, I mean really it's just a small lie, I'm not hurting anybody, no one's gonna know. It's just between me and my wife. So what you have done is allowed even the smallest crack, and because you cracked the window to your soul, Satan the all he needs, he, he you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. All he needs is that small crack. And so, what Satan has done now is infiltrated the security of your heart, the security of your spirit. And he didn't just be there in a little bit. No, look at what he says Satan has filled your heart, literally. Listen, whenever we crack the window of our heart open to jealousy, to anger, to lust, To fear, to worry, to greed, whatever it is that your weakness is that you struggle with, quite obviously the weakness of Ananias and Sapphira was lying. And because they crack the window of their soul, it's a white lie. No one will know. I'm not hurting anyone. Because they crack that window a little bit, Satan, that's all he needs. The enemy of your soul, the Bible says, he is a roaring lying, seeking who he can devour. That's all he needs to come in and literally fill up your entire house. I want you to imagine that. A small crack of the window of your heart can let the enemy come in and fill your entire heart. And the result is quite honestly, destruction. I want you to notice this as well in verses 5 through 11, that any time the Holy Spirit is actively moving, Satan will attack. What did we read this morning at the end of chapter 4? Oh man, things were great, Luke says. Uh, there's thousands and thousands of people. They'd gather together. They'd worship God. They'd hear the apostles' teaching. People were being healed and people were being saved. And, and uh, man, the rich Christians were helping the poor Christians. And there was unity, just like the word that we had this morning. There was unity. Man, this was the perfect church. Everything was great. And then what's the very next thing we read? Satan tries to attack the church. You're fooling yourself if you think Satan is not out to attack this church. You're fooling and lying to yourself if you think Satan is not out out to destroy your family and destroy your life. He is out to devour you. Out to devour our church. Anytime the Holy Spirit is actively moving, whether it's in you as an individual or in the church, Satan will use your weakness, our weakness as a church... To destroy us. That's exactly what Satan does here. Notice that. Satan says, the Holy Spirit's moving. I'm threatened. Literally thousands of people are following Christ day in and day out. And so I can find someone that I can use. Let me find someone among these thousands of people who their window is cracked a little bit. And he finds a man and his wife, Ananias and Sapphira. Their window's cracked. I'll use them. Satan comes in, fills their heart. And as a result, he destroys them individually they died because of their weakness they died because satan attacked them you think satan isn't real you think it's not threatening you think it isn't a real thing absolutely is this threatened to destroy the early church again open window open destruction satan will use your weakness to destroy you who uses our weakness to destroy what the holy spirit is doing in our church And maybe you sense, as I do, and it's not just because I'm the pastor, but maybe you sense, as I do, the Holy Spirit's starting to do some stuff here. The Holy Spirit's starting to move. Worship's getting great, and we're having words of the Lord. Man, if you weren't here last Wednesday night, you missed it. The Holy Spirit took over. It was a great service. Anytime the Holy Spirit begins to move, Satan's antenna goes up. It's a threat to him, and he seeks to destroy you individually and us as a church, what God is doing in our body. That's what Satan tried to do here. This, by the way, is similar to the sin of a man named Achan, and he was Achan at the end of his life, but a man named Achan in Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 26, where, you know, you remember the story of Jericho in the Old Testament, that they marched around, the walls fall down, and before that, this military general named Joshua, who studied under another military general named Moses, Joshua tells them, because God told him, listen, when you destroy Jericho, destroy everything. Don't save anything, don't keep anything, wipe him off the face of the earth. Well, this guy named Achan was a warrior. He destroys certain things, but he goes into a house, he finds some gold, he finds some things that he likes, and he keeps them for himself. And as a result, Achan and his entire family were killed. This is real stuff. It's Old Testament, it's New Testament. Peter goes on to ask... Ananias, six questions. Did you notice that? I mean, Peter, he, he, you know, Ananias walks in, he gives the money, and, and Peter begins to ask him six different questions. The first one is the most pointed. Why has Satan filled your heart? I mean, and, and secondly, why did you do this? I mean, listen, Ananias, we would be okay as a church and as elders and as apostles. We would be fine if, if you would have either did what Barnabas did and give all the money, or if you just would have kept half for yourself and give the other half to us, but at least be honest about it, we'd be fine with that. But because you lied, and you didn't lie to the church or to me, Peter, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and he died. Sometimes I fear that we don't take sin seriously enough as they did. Satan will use our weakness to destroy us. We must guard our hearts from the temptations of Satan. The secrets of our heart, our motives, our jealousy, lust, anger. Others may not know them, but Satan does. Do you remember Jesus' model prayer at the end of Matthew chapter 6? You know, as as people call it, the Lord's Prayer. How did Jesus end that prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. So simple. So, so simple, but so true. What if Ananias and Sapphira would have prayed that in their home as husband and wife? How many of us pray as husband and wife, as a family? That you pray, Father, over the window of my heart, Jesus, over the window of my soul, Holy Spirit, the window of my life, I want to leave it closed and locked. Guard my heart against temptation and deliver me from evil. When I feel the temptation to reach my hand over, to flip the switch, to raise it up just a little bit because it's going to be fun for a little bit. No one will know. It's okay. I think I can get away with it. Jesus will forgive me anyway. It'll be okay. When I feel tempted to do that, Jesus, would you come and convict me and help me to slam that thing shut and lock it? Guard my heart. That's my prayer. Guard my heart against temptation and against evil. Deliver me from those things. This is a story as well of integrity. Integrity, by the way, is a witness of the Holy Spirit. You can speak in tongues all day long, but unless you have integrity, it does no good. Paul alludes to that when he talks about banging symbols and everything in 1 Corinthians 13. I encourage you to read that. Integrity in the Holy Spirit. What was this past Wednesday? April 15th, our favorite day as American citizens, right? Tax day. Some of you, if you didn't get your taxes, as soon as we're done today, run out and take care of that. Tax day. Integrity in filing your taxes. Well, now, come on. I mean, the government takes enough. Hey, I'd probably agree with you on that, right? I don't think you're going to find someone that says, no, the government can take more. No, I, I might agree with you on that. That does not excuse you to lie and cheat on your taxes or to steal things from your company where you work. Well, you know, listen, all the overtime on work, I'm a salary person. They don't really value me here. I'm just another cog in the wheel. And so I can take these things. They'll never know about it. No, no, no. Integrity is a witness of the Holy Spirit. Look at Barnabas, for example, compared to Ananias. And I love how Luke puts them both. The exact same situation, Luke puts them both together. And I've shared this story years ago, but... Speaking of taxes, uh, years ago, my wife and I, when we were first married, uh, we were married about three or four years, and we were student pastors in another state. And as we're there, um, if you don't know, pastors' taxes are different. And when I say different, I mean complicated and weird. I don't understand even how to do pastors, but they're just different. So anyway, we found a firm that specializes in ministers' or pastors' taxes, So they were recommended to us by some other pastor friends. We started to use them, or we tried to use them. They filled out everything. They sent us the form. They lived about four hours from where we did. They sent us all the information back. And my wife, if you don't know, is excellent when it comes to numbers. She's worked in the finance world our entire marriage. She's brilliant when it comes to finances. But she's looking over these tax uh, review, and, and as she's reviewing them, she says something isn't right. These numbers aren't adding up right. And I said, well, you know, no offense, honey, maybe you're wrong. And then I, and I quickly repented from that. But I said, you know, maybe, maybe that's not right. And, and, but no, the more she looked, she said, no, 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 these are wrong. I said, well, okay, let's call. So we called them. And they said, uh, well, you know, no, 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 don't worry about it. You're wrong. Uh, we're right. It's, it's fine the way it is. Don't worry about it. Okay. So it still bothered her. She still kept up at night. It still was nudging at her spirit. And she called again a few days later hey, you know, I, I know you told me not to worry about it, but the more I look at this, the more I really am worried. I really don't think this is right. And they said, no, 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 we're telling you. Don't call again. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We've already filed it, sent it to the IRS. You know, don't worry about it. Okay, so we don't. About a week or two later, we get a phone call and a letter from this uh, tax firm, and they said, you know what? After further review, your wife was right all along. And in fact, uh, because she was right, you're going to end up owing the IRS about $7,000, somewhere in there. Listen, we'd only been married about three years. That was all the money in our savings, literally. And, And then some, all that we had. And this Christian tax firm told us you know what, you don't have to send this to the IRS. It's up to you. Your taxes have already been filed. They may never find out about it. They may never know about it. So just don't worry about it. I mean, if you want to send it in, just keep in mind, you're going to have to pay $7,000. Otherwise, just sit on it. You're small potatoes anyway. They don't care about you. And, and just go on with your life. That's what this Christian firm told us. My wife and I were trying to go for a little weekend getaway and uh, it absolutely ruined our weekend, of course. But I can promise you there was not a hesitation in both of us in the car, driving to where we were going, we looked at each other and said, no, we have to do the right thing. We have to send it in. We couldn't live with ourselves, not only because we're in ministry, but because it's the right thing to do. That doesn't mean I'm perfect in everything that we do, but being integrity in your taxes. There's a book I'm reading currently on, it's called The Intangibles of Leadership, and it's a, it's a secular leadership book. But chapter four, a secular non-Christian leadership book, chapter four of this book is titled integrity integrity business schools leadership schools can teach business and leadership and profits but they can't teach integrity ananias suffered from integrity barnabas had it let me say this about money very quickly as we move on i heard a pastor say this as well and and i and i absolutely loved it and agreed with it when it comes to money understand what does god view or how does god view money you need to work all that you can and as hard as you can You need to save all that you can and as hard as you can. And you need to give all that you can as much as you can. You live by that simple principle work as hard as you can. Listen, work is a biblical principle. Laziness is a sin. The Bible teaches work. God creates Adam. The first thing he says is go work the garden. Work is a biblical principle. Laziness is non Christian. Don't be lazy. Work as hard as you can, and then save all that you can. Be a good steward of that money. And then, when the opportunity has, give as much as you can. Some of you can give a lot more than others, and some of you are like the widow that Jesus talked about who she could only give two little pennies, less than pennies, actually. And Jesus said she gave more than the rest because of her heart. Work as hard as you can, save as hard as you can, give as hard as you can. Second thing, open window, open to destruction. Power to keep the window closed. Power to keep the window closed. And we're not going to read it for time's sake, but... Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37 and Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. Study those this week and you can look at them in your grace groups this week because both of those, notice it's kind of a sandwiched passage. You've got unity of the believers. you got the Holy Spirit moving. you got, man, things are growing great. We're busting at the seams. God is moving. People are being healed. Things couldn't be better. Then we have 11 verses about Ananias and Sapphira and Satan trying to destroy Ananias and Sapphira and the church. And then we have followed with that again, the sandwich at the end, the bookends, the Holy Spirit moving, people being healed, people being delivered God saving hundreds of people to follow Him. How do you keep the window closed? If, if we're talking this morning about when your window is open to sin and listen, it doesn't matter. Some of you might be out there sitting and saying, well you know my window to that one issue of my life is just cracked a little bit. I mean I think I can handle, it. I think I can take care of it on my own. I don't want to tell anybody, I don't want to deal with it. It's just cracked a little bit. You need to understand something. It doesn't matter if it's cracked two inches or two feet. Satan will fill your heart. He hates you. He's not something that's cute around Halloween with a devil and horns. He is real. He hates you. He hates everything about you. He hates your family. He hates your house. He wants to wipe you out and destroy you. It doesn't matter to Satan whether you give him two inches for the window of your soul or two feet. doesn't matter. How do you keep this window closed? Well... Luke tells us in Acts, how do you keep the window closed? Acts 4, 32 through 37 and chapter 5, 12 through 16. God is holy and wants us to be holy as well. The Old Testament is full of that. What does that mean? Well, holiness means a lot of things. It means being like God. But really, in this instance, it means taking sin seriously. Barnabas understood that, Ananias and Sapphira didn't. And notice that Peter gave Sapphira, his wife, an opportunity to set the record straight. But she lied as well, like Adam and Eve. Take sin seriously in your heart. The more you take sin seriously, the more the window of your soul will be locked shut. The more you flirt with it, or you think it's cute, or you allow even two inches, the more you're open to destruction. Be holy as God is holy. Keep your window shut. Secondly, Unity in the church, and it was so appropriate, that word of the Lord this morning, because it fits right in with this message. Unity in the church equals power of the Holy Spirit. What does Luke tell us two different times? At the end of chapter 4 and the middle of chapter 5, there's unity in the church. When there's unity in the church, the Holy Spirit can move the Holy Spirit can flow. Doesn't matter if it's a church of 50 or 5,000. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's a church that's got Assembly of God across the door, or non-denominational or Baptist or Baptist. Doesn't matter. When there's unity in the church, the Holy Spirit can move. I believe we have unity in our church. Notice the correlation between unity and the power of the Holy Spirit in those verses. No unity, no Holy Spirit. A strong, healthy church is only as strong as the way they take care of the weakest members, both financially, emotionally, and spiritually. I want to say that again. Maybe i want to write that down. A strong, healthy church is only as strong as the way they take care of the weakest members, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. That's the example. That's the blueprint that Luke tells us in chapter 4 and 5. A strong, healthy church takes care of the weakest members, emotionally, spiritually, financially. As your pastor, I can brag and say, I feel like we're doing that. I feel like you're knocking that out of the park. Keep, keep doing that. Christians should take care of each other to the point that no one has need of anything. Notice that this echoes Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. We believe in it so much, we put it on a banner. I mean, you can't get much more belief than that, right? You put something on a banner in a church, it's like the Ten Commandments, okay? So we believe in that, and notice the similarities, and there's a theme that runs across Acts. We should take care of each other to the point that no one has need of for anything I love and they showed this image last night a few weeks ago when it was raining it's been raining a lot and a few weeks ago as it was raining I went I was here at the church with my son I went down to get the mail at the bottom of the hill a car was coming up and I had to swerve I went across in the grass on the other side of the mailbox I have four-wheel drive and I got stuck when I say I got stuck I mean there were like three feet above my tires it wasn't that bad but there was a lot I didn't know what to do. I got my son screaming in the back. I got four-wheel drive. I can't get out. I call a member of our church. They were there in no time. Taking care of each other. Some of you, when you're sick or in the hospital, or if someone passes away, you take care of each other. Several of you know, last week we prayed for my grandfather. I can't tell you how many of you have asked me that, emailed me. And I know it's not just because I'm the pastor. You do it for each other. I'm just patting you on the back. Continue to do that. These early Christians clearly understood that everything that they had didn't belong to them but to God. And they gave happily and willingly. Understand, whether you're a wealthy Christian or a poor Christian, if this doesn't go just for finances, but emotionally, with your time, everything that you can think of as Christians, as a follower of Christ, it doesn't belong to you. It's His. You're a steward of it. Give happily and willingly of yourself. Why is this important? Third thing, personal holiness, power of the Holy Spirit. This is a sermon you don't hear teached very often anymore, but it's holiness. Holiness is not the long dresses and the long hair, no makeup. No, that's not holiness. Holiness is living for Christ, being holy. Loving what Christ loves, hating what he hates. He hates sin. Loving what he loves. He loves his people. Why is this important? So that our hearts will be pure and he can bless us individually and do great things in our church. Barnabas was a man Full of personal holiness. Well, how do you know that just based on this one verse? Read later in Acts. Barnabas was an awesome man of God. Awesome man of God. How? Because he had personal holiness in his life. You want God to bless you? You want God to use you? You want to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit? Listen, be holy. You want our church to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit? Let us be holy as the followers of Christ in this body of Christians in this church. For God to bless you and for the Holy Spirit to use you, be holy. Barnabas is a great example. Third, lastly, protecting your window. So, open window, open destruction. Power to close the window. Well, it's not on your own. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through uh, personal holiness. It's through holiness as our church. Protecting your window. You say, well, Brian, all this is great, but how do I do it? What do you want me to do now? How can I do these things? Well, quite simply, pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal your weakness. Don't be naive. Don't sweep your weakness under the rug. Well, that's just between me and the Lord. It's okay. Yeah, it might be between you and the Lord, but let the Lord deal with it. Give it to Him and let Him take care of it. Well, it's something that I've kind of always struggled with and I just might always struggle with it. That's a cheap, pathetic excuse. Because understand this, we're only as strong as every person in this room keeps their window locked. What will destroy this church when any one of you lets your window crack to the schemes of Satan? What will destroy our church? Not the economy, not the president, not church attendance in America. No, no, no. What will destroy our church is Satan when any one of you crack this window. How can we have more of the Holy Spirit in our church? How can the Holy Spirit bless our church when every one of you lock it? and keep it closed. How do I do that, Brian? You pray, Holy Spirit, would you show me my weakness? And chances are, to be honest, you probably know what they are already. I know the weaknesses in my life. Listen, it may be uncomfortable, it may be challenging, but pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you your Weaknesses. Most of you probably know what they are. Some of you might not. You might be surprised as you pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, would you reveal starting today, starting this week and the months to come, would you show me my weaknesses and would you take care of them? Would you help me to get better in those areas? I can promise the Holy Spirit will help you. And secondly, have other people hold you accountable. That's how you protect your window. Because listen, when you protect the window of your soul, you protect the window of this body of believers. Have other people hold you accountable. Go to them. Close, close friends. Men and women of God. Men with men. Women with women. Maybe spouses. Just say, hey, I've been praying about this. I've been praying based on what Brian said, what, what's written in Acts. And, you know, the, I, the Holy Spirit's revealed, this is a weakness in my life. And I would just ask that you would keep me accountable to that. Just periodically. Would you just call me up and check on and It's not to slap me on the hand and say, oh, you messed up and you miserable sinner. No, but it's to encourage me. It's to spur me on in my faith, to help me have other people hold you accountable. This morning, finally, you've got to understand, what's this all about? What's the main thing? Satan will use our weaknesses to destroy us and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our church. I have seen it happen. I have experienced it as a boy in church growing up. I've seen it in churches I've been a part of as a, I mean, it just happens. Satan loves to destroy churches. He, he, he loves on that. And he destroys you in the process. He tried to destroy the church, thankfully he was unsuccessful, but he did destroy Ananias and Sapphira. Listen, the sin that you deal with, the weakness that you have, you may think it's cute, you may think it's not hurting anybody, but be so careful that it doesn't destroy your family that it doesn't destroy your marriage. That greed that you have will destroy you. That anger that you have, that unforgiveness that you have, that lust that you have, whatever it is that you've cracked that window of your heart to, it will destroy you. And in the process, try to destroy our church. Holiness is the power to keep that window closed. Holiness in your own life through the power of the Holy Spirit, as Barnabas says, and holiness as in our church how do you do that prayer and accountability keep the window closed to protect yourself and the group our church from sin but even more than that I mean that's like half of it the other half that's that's just as I mean amazing and better is when you keep the window closed to sin and you keep the window closed to those weaknesses through the power of the holy spirit guess what the holy spirit will use you in amazing ways just ask barnabas the holy spirit will use you in ways you never even dreamed just like barnabas the holy spirit will fill this church and move in powerful ways ways that this church has never even seen before ask the church in acts chapter five so there's a twofold thing you understand that when we keep the window closed just like in the winter we keep the temperature in our house the same but we keep thieves out So it is spiritually. When we keep the window closed, we keep the enemy out. We protect our heart from sin to destroy us and the church. But also when we keep it closed and live holy lives, the Holy Spirit can use us to do awesome stuff for him, stuff we never dreamed of, do things in your life you can't even fathom and make this church the church he wants it to be and do amazing things in our church. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word that is eternal That is true. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the joy that you give us. We thank you that our God is alive. He is not here. He has risen. We don't just celebrate that Easter, but every day of our life, because you live, we will live. That's what you say, Jesus, in John 17. We thank you for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word today. We ask that our hearts would continue to be open to receive your truth, that we would draw near to you. I pray, I beg that these would not just be words that would fall on hollow ground, but the word of God would not come back void. Holy Spirit, that your message today would be planted firm in every one of our hearts so that we can be healthy, fruit-producing Christians that change lives in our community. Help us to close the window of our heart to sin and the schemes of the enemy to destroy us in our church. And help us to keep it closed through holiness so that, Holy Spirit, you can use us to do amazing things in our lives and in our body. We love you and thank you. With every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you've never had an opportunity to give your life to Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to know what real joy and real hope is all about, we don't want to end the service this morning without giving you a chance. The interesting thing is, every person in this room that you're sitting around They've made that decision, that's why they're here today. Some of them made it in a church just like this, some of them made it in places you can't even imagine. But because they made that decision, they don't have to die to experience joy and hope and peace and the love of God, they experience it every day. Does that mean they don't have challenges? No, they have challenges like the rest of us. But they have the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit to make it through those challenges, to guide them and give them comfort. Right now as I pray, if you'd want to make that decision, if you'd want to make your way to the front, I know I'd love to pray with you. Other people would as well. Maybe you're right where you're at and you just want to raise a hand. People will come around you and and just talk with you, pray with you. Maybe say, Brian, I'm close. I'm not quite there yet. Could I talk to you this week and get some more information? Absolutely. My number's in the bulletin. Call me this week. Email me. It's there as well. I'd love to meet with you and talk, answer questions you may have. This is a life Changing decision, but I can promise you. I've never met a Christian who regretted it I've never met a person who said I give my life to Jesus. Their sins are forgiven They have hope in this life and peace and the life to come in eternity with him They've never regretted it If you'd want to do that right now as I pray father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth I pray that those who have been wrestling with this message that are wrestling right now with making this decision to follow you, that they wouldn't hesitate anymore. They wouldn't put it off anymore. But today, right now this morning, they'd make that decision. They would experience your love, your joy, your hope, and your peace. If you'd wanna come right now, I'd love to pray with you. Raise your hand right where you are. The people will be praying with you. Father, we thank you for those that would make that decision today. Their life would be changed forever. And it's nothing that I have done or said, but it's strictly you working on their hearts calling them to yourself thank you father father we thank you for this day holy spirit let us go and live this keep the window closed to keep the enemy out to destroy us and our family and our church and keep the window closed through holiness so that you could use us to do awesome things phenomenal things life-changing things individually and in our church as well we love you and thank you and we're nothing without you Now, Father, I ask that you'd bless every person that is here. May your face shine upon them. May your favor rest upon them in their lives individually, in their families and in their homes. May the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit flow abundantly in their homes. Let it flow abundantly in their cars this week as they travel. May, Holy Spirit, your presence flow abundantly at their jobs and in their families. That they would draw closer to you this week, more in love with you, more in love with one another. Give them favor at their jobs to stand up and stand out for you boldly as we talked about last week. We pray for boldness in the Holy Spirit to continue preaching the resurrection and hope of Christ. May you bless us as a body of believers with greater unity, with greater love for one another. Help us to be the church of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4 and 5 as well. Unity, holiness, power of the Holy Spirit. May you bless us individually with favor in our community to stand up and stand out for you. Help us, Father, to be a biblically healthy, fruit-producing church that changes lives in our communities through the power of the Holy Spirit in your presence, through solid biblical teaching and living, and through passion to reach and serve the lost and use our gifts in ministry. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give this day to you. We're nothing without you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I love You.